This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. I have to tell you a story, and unlike so much of what I say on the radio, this story happens to be true. A few years ago, I started hearing about this comic that was appearing on the Fox News channel, and once in a while I'd see him on there with a flamboyant sports jacket on, and always with the sound off, because you're at a radio station, they have these news channels on, and I'm looking at this guy, he's smirking, and I'm thinking to myself, never having heard a syllable that he said, I'm thinking to myself, how funny could this guy really be? Everyone knows that they don't put the really funny people People on cable news, they give them sitcoms, they give them late night talk shows, they're performing in packed arenas, they don't put them on uh, the O'Reilly factor. So, there, lo-, lo and behold, I totally judge this guy, never having heard a syllable that he's uttered ever before. And then a few months go by, and I hear this guy's on radio, and you know how radio people are very dismissive of everybody that's not them. And in general, my attitude expressed totally silently was, huh. What makes this guy think that he can do radio? What does he know about radio? He's a he's a stand-up comic that occasionally goes on TV. That doesn't qualify you to be a radio person. So then lo and behold, I happen to be out on Long Island visiting my wife's friend's child's soccer game. And it just so happens, this childhood friend of my wife, her husband's brother said, you know, I happen to be listening to this guy on the radio, and not only is he great, but he seems like a very smart guy and a very funny guy. So I can't tell you the name of my wife's childhood friend's husband's brother. I I think that might have been probably the only time I ever met him. But with an endorsement from someone as close to me as that, I said, you know what? Maybe I've judged this guy too harshly. Let me go ahead and give him a listen. And I have to say, I'd love to say it was all hype. He truly is incredibly funny. Uh, I've had the opportunity to see him perform a few times now, seen him on television several times. He's terrific. He uh, knows what's going on in the news, but unlike so many, doesn't seem to take it too seriously. I'm very, very pleased to welcome for the first time to this show 
uh, Jimmy Fela, the host of Fox Across America with Jimmy Fela, and uh, very honored to be on the same station with him in the Catskills, WVOS, and a guy who is just a terrific stand-up comic, an author, and a regular on Fox News. Jimmy, it's great to talk to you. Yo, so I just love so much during that whole story that you were looking at my jackets. Because here's the thing. I do, just between you and me, because I'd admit this to you, because you know how much I love you. Um, I dress like a figure skater who let himself go. And it's like, if you don't know me and how harmless I am, it looks like I'm flashy and arrogant. But what I'm actually trying to do is distract from my glaring lack of intellect, you know? Because if you see me on Fox, like these people have high-end educations. They worked in the State Department. Like, I went to Nassau Community College. I had to give a guy named Spider a bag of weed to get in. And that's like, an, it's like a true story. So you understand, when I find myself on TV with someone who worked in the White House, I'm like, dude, I worked in the back of a white castle. You know what I'm saying? So I got to make moves. In Major League, there's that old pitcher that he's like, he, they're like, you put snot on the ball. I don't put snot on the ball, but I put rhinestones on my sport coats. You dig? <laughs> I love it. Now, Jimmy, I think a lot of people know who, if you they listen to you on the radio or they've seen you on television and maybe maybe the, some people that have not done either don't know this. But you actually got started as a cabbie. You drove a cabbie. Now, I'm assuming because you speak English pretty well that uh, as part of the uh, as part of the exchange program to make sure nobody knows what their driver is saying, you were driving a cab in either India or Nigeria. Is that accurate? <laughs> no, it was here in New York. But you know what you'd love about that? I had three guys in my in my garage whose actual names were Osama bin Laden. Oh, my goodness. Now, imagine when we finally got him. It was a Sunday night. Obama announced it. I get a phone call on my cell phone. They're like, they got bin Laden. I was like, for what? Speeding? Like, I, you know, I told them to slow down around Grand Central. Can't be doing that. And they're like, no, no, like bin Laden. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. But, yeah, that is uh, that's how this began. Uh, I know nobody likes a show off, but um, – I was banging out 5 to 5, so 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. My garage was in service down on 21st and 7th. And, uh, you know, we always have these arguments in cable news now about whether or not UFOs are real. I don't know that they are, but I've definitely, in a yellow cab, picked up people from other planets. Like 100%. <laughs> hey, um, the, the, the extent of my knowledge of being a New York City taxi cab driver is really being a passenger and watching the TV show Taxi, which I just love. Yes. Did you find, as a student of comedy and as somebody that lived the life of a taxi driver, that there were elements of realism to that show? Oh, yeah. Because you know what? Every garage, my, like my brothers are cops, just to give you some parallel there. And uh, I would have been a cop if it weren't for this thing called the background check. But um, my brother's a cop, and every police precinct has its own community where everybody knows each other. The guys at one shift interact with the guys at another. And that's what a taxi garage is because there's this thing called a shift change at 5 p.m. where the day guys got to hand the cabs off to the night guys. So there's that same type of camaraderie and vibe. There's the cranky dispatchers. You know what I'm saying? So, yes, there is a uh, very much a sense of community. And uh, it's kind of fun. Uh, that's the one thing I would tell you. But what would surprise people, and you might appreciate this, is when you put people in a room from a thousand different countries. I mean, literally countries you've never heard of. Um, like half of them, I thought I was like being punked. I'd have to Google them. You know, I was like, oh, it's Jakarta. You know, that's a thing. I thought it was a cologne. Grew up in the 80s. We had Jakar, but yeah, Jakarta. <laughs> and um, what they all do is they bond over ethnic jokes about each other's origins. Like once they found out I was Polish, that's all they did was tell me Polish jokes. 
uh, because that's what they bond over is like stereotypes because they know the stereotypes about each other's origin countries. So they just run them into the ground. So like eventually, like that's how I won over most of the people who barely spoke English is like I was in on it. I would like make, you know, because I'm half, this is my deal. I'm half Polish and I'm half Sicilian. So I actually had an uncle who put a hit out on himself. <laughs> and, um, you know, they appreciated candor like that. And you could make friends in the garage. You mentioned the stereotypes that are so prevalent in the taxi community. We've mm-hmm. heard a lot about certain passengers not being able to be picked up by New York City cabbies in the pre-Uber era. Which uh, ethnic groups did you discriminate against? Oh, you you name it. But can I tell you something? Because this is important and I love this question. I want to clear something up, okay? Because when people say, like when you drive a taxi, do you like not pick up certain people? I'm in. Because like, you know, they look dangerous. And the God's honest truth is no. Because when you spend 12 hours a day in New York City traffic, you want to die. Okay? So if I didn't pick you up in my taxi, it's because you didn't look dangerous enough. Okay? <laughs> Sorry, pal. I, you know what? No. The, the guy over there with the severed head in the bowling ball bag. He needs to get to LaGuardia. We're talking with Jimmy Fela, a uh, terrific stand-up, uh, the host of Fox Across America every afternoon, and uh, really just a, a, a guy that's become an integral part of the modern Fox News channel. Hey, by the way, maybe the only thing that gets more dirty looks than uh, saying you're a discriminating taxi driver is saying that you work at Fox News. That doesn't exactly deal, endear you to the cocktail party circuit in the New York oh. area, certainly. Do you ever get a raised eyebrow when you meet someone for the first time and you tell them you work at Fox News? Oh, yeah. No, if they're liberal, I don't even chance it. Like, my son's back to school night. I actually tried to tell the teacher I play piano in a brothel. (laughs) I was like, Fox News? No, what do you... No, I'm actually uh, a matchmaker for R. Kelly. Uh, No, Fox News, I don't know anything about that. Helicopter pilot at Epstein Island. Fox News, what are you talking about? But, uh, yeah, it comes up, but you know what? You want to know what really happens, and this is the part of that that I found to be cool is there is a certain reverence for TV that people are, they have these very strong opinions, and obviously they're mad about Fox, they don't agree with it. But when they meet you, they're really not, for the most part, that way, because they still, like, have an interest in, like, wow, so you must know all these people I hate. What are they really like? (laughs) You know? There's that curiosity factor. So I'm, like, I'm a pretty good diplomat, because, like, they know, like, I'm harmless. You know, I'm a 45-year-old man who plays video games. I don't think anybody feels threatened by the idea of me. So I'm a good brand ambassador to the show, you know, uh, to, you know, to Fox as a whole. But you're absolutely spot on about that assessment in New York. Now, what's funny is when you leave New York, as you know, everybody, you know, in the Midwest and out of state down south, they love us. But what's weird is, like, I'll go do stand-up. I was just in Des Moines, Iowa. When you show up dressed like me in, like, a cowboy shirt with my accent, everyone there thinks I'm in the witness protection program. <laughs> like, like I was asked to kill someone for pay three times last weekend in Des Moines. I'm like, no, no, I'm here for a stand-up show. Like, hey, well, since you mentioned that, since you mentioned that, there was a mobster with the Gambino crime family who spelled his name either identically or very identical. similar to yours. Right? Identical. He didn't pronounce it your way. I'm no. just curious. Uh, yeah. Is that a relative? Well, listen, I this is how I found out he existed, and I'll give you the best answer I can on this. I did not know or grow up knowing this could have been a relative or that this his name is James uh, Jimmy Brown Fela. That's who it is. And uh, I'll give you the whole full story. The first time I went on a date with a girl in New York City, 
I went to Nino's over on First Avenue, if you know it, not too oh, far sure. from Dangerfield. Yeah. And uh, it was the very first credit card I had. Do you remember when you were young? And it wasn't even a credit card. Like, you had to send them money to stick <laughs> right, in a bank in North right, Dakota. Right. So it's like, I sent them $300 so they could charge me interest to spend my $300. So anyway, uh, I was on a date with a gal who worked at a tanning salon in Long Island because I know how to pick them. And uh, we went to Nino's. And at the end of the meal, a guy came over and he's like, your money's no good here. He's like, tell your father we said hello. <laughs> and like at the time, I'm like, my father, my father's a Nassau County cop. Like, how did, did he come in here? And like, not only was it not my father, but it was the exact opposite of what my father was doing for a living. But uh, it was a fascinating story. And I did get a free meal and a fruit tower, which is the last time I've ever been seen with a fruit tower, if you know anything about me. But pretty funny. That is outstanding. Uh, that's outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. So, obviously, I think a lot of folks know you're on radio now. You're on television a great deal. You do these stand-up shows all over the country. You clearly pursued being a stand-up comic for a long time. When did you first have an inkling that you wanted to do that for a living, meaning stand-up comedy? And did you have any comedy mentors? Uh, you know, my favorite comic of all time when I was a little kid was just Rodney Day because he was repeatably funny. Like, my favorite thing about a comic is seeing him and being able to tell someone who wasn't there why you found it funny. Mm. You dig? Good joke writers, you know? Like, I can tell you a Rodney D joke. You don't even have to deliver it like him to know why it's funny. Like, Rodney D has a great classic joke. He's like, I went to the doctor. He said, I got good news and I got bad news. I said, Doc, what's the good news? He said, they're going to name a disease after you, you know? And it's just funny. You know, it's dark. It's morbid, whatever. But the point is, I liked him as a joke teller. I grew up watching The Tonight Show because I had a fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Pascana, who said, you know, you should watch The Tonight Show. It's funny. I know you're really jokey in class. You'd probably get a kick out of it. And, like, looking back now, she probably had just seen my report cards and realized I didn't have a future in, like, corporate America and kind of encouraged me that way. But I that's probably around fifth grade. I was like, oh, this is fun. Like, this is kind of what I want to do. Uh, the only thing I would tell you is, I grew up kind of obsessed over a version of comedy that doesn't exist. And mm. what I mean is, like, when I was a kid, Kinnison was basically, like, shooting up on stage and, like, screaming at people. And it was like they were mountains of cocaine in green rooms. Now you just show up to a stand-up green room. Everyone's, like, so liberal. They're just like, so what are you protesting? You know, it's like, <laughs> no one's drinking anything. No one's fighting. They're just, you know, they're just hanging up Ukrainian flags <laughs> and trying to act like decent people. And I'm like, guys, it's show business. The whole reason we gravitated towards this bug light is because we're not decent people. And we didn't grow up around decent people. Like, we might good people, but not decent, you dig? And there's a difference between good and decent, you know? Good, you mean well, okay? You're not going to hurt anybody. You're not trying to screw anybody over. But decent is like, you know, we're presentable. And, you know, comedians are not always presentable. One of the things that I like about you is that uh, when you're on someone else's show, you're not afraid to be funny. One of the frustrations that I've had with stand-up comics who I've seen in person and have been great, and I think, I've got to get this person on the show. I have them on, and then they're almost afraid to do their material, I guess because they don't want it stolen by someone else. Well, a two-part question. One, do you ever do that? Do you ever hold stuff back from the airwaves because you're worried that it's going to get pilfered? And two, have you noticed that same problem when you have stand-ups on um this is what i noticed like for me personally like i won't i don't do material and in interviews just because it's like i'll just have an above average conversation with you you know what i mean and right find which spots that yeah. i think are funny but what i think a lot of comics have the issue of and this matters is a lot of them are really good writers but they're not socially good 
like most radio hosts you hang out with, okay? And I would say most TV news hosts you'd hang out with. With no back, like no professional background in comedy, they're the funniest people in the world. Right, right. Because you talk for a living. Like if someone hung out with you, they'd think you did comedy for a living because you're funny. Because so much of radio is being in the moment, paying attention, and just finding either the injustice or the inequity or the, you know, logical take. And that's all comedy is. You're uncovering a truth and you're proving your point through jokes, you know? So I think the thing you run into is you're not, they're not scared. They just don't always have that conversation skill. Mm. And that's more stand up. Like when you go to green rooms, everybody's, a lot of people are like introverted and weird. And because it's showbiz, a lot of what you find out is everyone's just talking to you from a standpoint of like, what do you have? How can I take it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's bizarre, man. I'm telling you, we need to bring back the drugs and the potty mouths, and I think everything will be good again. You know, you speaking about things that uh, are controversial, I don't think it gets any more controversial than Jeffrey Epstein. If there's anybody that's somehow even more controversial than when he was alive, I think it might be Jeffrey Epstein. A listener told me that you're actually the alibi for the Clintons when Jeffrey oh. Epstein died. Did you oh. feel it all cheated out of a bargain chip when the autopsy indicated he killed himself. <laughs> I love this. Ep, listen, Epstein, okay, people give him a hard time, uh, but the Clintons have always said he was a great hang. Okay, <laughs> good night, everybody. Uh, but hold on a second. So the way this went down, if the listener heard this on my show, everyone should know this. So Epstein, this is so crazy. He was found dead in his cell on the morning of August 10th. Uh, and it was, you know, in lower Manhattan and on Friday night, the ninth, uh, I was flying out of O'Hare and the Clintons flew in commercial and made a point to hug and take a selfie with literally every person in that terminal. And, you know, it could have been a pure coincidence. They were probably on their way to fundraise or do God knows what in, in Chicago. I mean, the most shocking part is that they were together. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, well, really? (laughs) That's the part that threw me. But then the next day when he did die and just knowing the history of him being leaked to them, it was still like freaky. Like I hired a food taster for like two weeks. But, uh, you know, it's like for real. And it was like we put it like that Monday I was on Fox and they put it on the shows to be like, and to make this even crazier, Jimmy was there. And I was like, you guys don't have to air this, man. Like, this is like, come on. I'm like freaked out. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe they were using me as an alibi. But I'll, I'll text you when we get off the air. The yeah. pictures, and you're going to die laughing. It's <laughs> like when you realize, like, at the very moment we're taking those pictures, he's supposedly killing himself. And he might have, you know, I, you know, nothing would surprise me. But uh, how fascinating that a little mook like me who grew up in Levittown, uh, you, you wind up on the front lines of history with guys like you. I think what we do for a living, we think it's normal because we do it every day. But I promise you, it's probably not normal. Oh, no. You get no argument from me there. Okay, hey, uh, obviously, we had the, uh, the most recent debate uh, this week, and uh, it's getting pretty poor reviews. In, in your opinion, uh, on the Republican side of the ledger, as long as Trump doesn't participate in these debates, does anybody care? Do these Trumpless debates matter at all? You know, it's funny. It's like, do you remember that season where they did the Dukes of Hazard with Coy and Vance? <laughs> <laughs> there was no Bo and Luke because they were in like a contract dispute. We got these like spin-off Dukes, but they were still in the General Lee. That's kind of what we're watching. So like when I'm looking, because to answer your question, of course, nobody cares on the level they would if Trump was there. But so what I'm watching, though, is like I'm watching it with an eye on 
who of these people will be able to hang when he is there? Because by the time the primary is over, he will have debated somebody, but he's obviously not going to get in until there's like three people left. Because he doesn't owe that to them. He doesn't owe that to them. Because right now, one of the reasons no one's making like a breakout play, and that's how Dana Perino described it this morning, as she said there wasn't really a breakout moment, is because you can't really have one against eight other people that are also polling at 3%. Mm. You know, because part of a breakout is like landing a punch on somebody who's untouchable. Right. You know, right. It's uh, so, uh, Buster yeah. Douglas beating Mike Tyson. Yeah, it's not Buster Douglas moment. beating Peter McNeely. Right. Yeah. <laughs> which he might not have even been able to do, <laughs> right. which is why him beating Mike Tyson was so significant. Uh, you know, but the thing is, uh, when it gets down to like three people and they thin out the herd, you will see maybe a Trump DeSantis debate. You know, you'll, you'll probably see somebody get in there. But what's fascinating is. We're definitely analyzing this in the wrong context, because I promise you, and you probably know this, too, there's no way we're about to watch a Trump-Biden rematch. Okay, I don't doubt Trump would, might, would run if he got convicted. I'm not, and I, and I know we'd have support, but I can't imagine, like, at this point, they're going to let Biden run. And it's not just because of, like, the cognitive issues we witness, but it's because for the potential for worse ones down the road. And what I think is going on, is I think there's a coordinated hit uh, to get him out of there because what they're talking about in the media right now isn't new, but they're covering it like it's new. You know how we keep hearing about that poll, like 72% of people think he's unfit to serve? Right, right. That was the poll number a year and a half ago. (laughs) So when the media is talking about it now, it's almost like they've been given permission to talk about it because they were ignoring that a year and a half ago. You know, and when they talk about it like it's new information, you realize it's just a new marching order. And I got to tell you, man, for a guy who doesn't want to run for president, Gavin Newsom's doing a lot of TV, isn't he? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Oh, that is that is for sure. And uh, clearly, if he's not running, he's putting himself in a position to to benefit if there is an opportunity to run. Talk with Jimmy Fela. Check him out. Fox Across America. Or you can uh, you could see his stand up uh, routine all over the all over the country. Jimmy, where are you performing that people could check you out? This is the one that matters. So um, I am. This is historic, by the way, Frank. You and me. Listen to this. You know, Love Whitney it. Houston saying one moment in time. Uh, <laughs> this is a one which, you know, <laughs> but this is a one moment in time. OK, uh, I am. Uh, I'm, sta- I'm filming a stand up special for Fox and it's never been done before. They've never taken like a Fox on air talent and shot a comedy special with them. Now, obviously, I'm the you know only contributor that is actual stand up. But we're filming a special on Long Island at the Huntington Friday night, October 13th. And then it's going to air uh, late December, early January, and it'll be my one-hour special. And it's a 17-camera shoot. Which wow. Means, yeah, yeah, wow is the first thing you hear. The second thing you hear is, i got to stop eating. So <laughs> I have eaten so much Greek yogurt, cashews, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I, I just need to shoot this thing so I can hit a diner. And just, you know, bang out a twin cheeseburger. I'm like, I'm starving right now. Like, I'm an actual TV person. All I do all day is go on TV, talk on the radio, eat yogurt, and cry. 
and uh, I just need to get through this special. But if anybody want to, wants to come, bring me food. Bring me. <laughs> bring me so how, how do how do folks get tickets if they do want to come? The Paramount. So is Paramount NY. ParamountNY.com or Ticketmaster. Uh, and it's Friday night, October 13th in Huntington. And uh, just like so anyone listening knows, like, when I'm doing stand-up, it's 1988. And all I mean by that is, if you grew up going to comedy clubs, obviously everyone in the audience knew you were bargaining with them in good faith. Like, they knew the difference between a joke and a hate crime. <laughs> so I'm not like a shock jock, but I'm also not doing stand-up with an eye on who might be rubbed the wrong way. Okay? Understood. Understood. If you tell a Polish joke, uh, it's okay. Yeah. People should know yeah. you're half Polish. Hey, uh, if you were to judge as a critic of comedy, who do you think is the funniest presidential candidate right now? Not, not taking into account their policies, who you like, who you might dislike, what kind of person they are, what kind of president they'd be, but just in in terms of pure humor, uh, ranging in, cate- in uh, from Larry Elder to Joe Biden and everybody in between, who do you think is the funniest? Ooh, I mean, I honestly, I think Trump has the most chops. Chops meaning something happens spur of the moment. He has an instantaneous good reaction. Best example, first presidential debate 2016, opening question. You've called women pigs and dogs and slobs. Before she could even finish, he goes, only oh, Rosie O'Donnell <laughs> brings down the house. Most people would respond to that question as it's being asked with like, oh, my God, 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 and say something at the end. That was a canned talking point. But he is a very much in the moment guy. And you know what that stems from? He did a lot of radio. He did a lot of radio with Stern back when Howard was oh, the yeah. king of all media. Oh, yeah. Now Howard is, of course, the Prince Harry of all media. He's a little more grievance-oriented. But Trump has radio chops. In terms of who's um, funny that's not Trump, because I've interviewed all of them a million times, oddly, and this is the funniest thing to me, DeSantis on the radio with me is, like, actually funny. Really? And I told him this. Yes, because on TV he's such a stiff. And, like, last night you could tell they talked to him, and they were like, dude, you have to smile. Just smile. Make your point. Don't change that. But you got to smile. And at the end of every point, you could see him trying to smile. You know, when you take a second grade school picture and you are you think you're smiling, but then you get the picture back and you realize you were making this very pronounced little boy face. <laughs> that's very toothy, but there's not a smile happening. That's you know DeSantis what I'm talking about? to a T. Absolutely. A hundred percent at the end of every point last night. He took a second-grade yearbook photo. <laughs> hey, at least he's trying. He's trying his best. I, I, I could talk to you all day, and I hope you'll come back. But there's two final yep. things that I want to go over with you before we let you go and uh, maybe get some sleep. I know you've had a, a long night and probably an early morning. I've done uh, a few shows with William Shatner on the radio. He's my all-time favorite celebrity. I was privileged to be able to interview him twice before a live crowd, which was if I was – I thought I was dying because it was a Make-A-Wish Foundation moment for me. <laughs> I know – You've actually written some jokes for him and had him on, I think, a a recent Fox News special. Talk to me about William Shatner and his humor, because I think people that don't know William Shatner as a person, as a personality, they just know of him. They don't necessarily appreciate his humor, but he really is remarkably funny, isn't he? And he's got such a world class delivery. So let me tell you how when I worked with him. I was writing for a TV show called Gotham Comedy Live. It was on Comedy Central. They filmed at a Gotham Comedy Club down the block on 23rd Street. And um, because I was the – basically my job every week is they'd give you a celebrity who wasn't a comic, and you'd have to write a routine. You'd have a week to make them a comic. 
Well, as this story happens, I was actually over in Rome with my wife. And I don't like for real between you and me, you know, coming up on a cab driver's salary, like you don't travel a lot. Right. The most foreign travel I have done is Epcot. Okay. <laughs> and that's, you know, still in America. But anyway, I was over in the actual Rome, like not even Rome, New York. Okay. I'm in Rome. Okay. And I was day drunk at the forum bar by where the Coliseum is. And uh, I'll never forget it. I get a phone call, LA phone number. And he's like, uh, Jimmy, it's, it's uh, William Shatner, Captain Kirk. We've got a problem on the Star Trek Enterprise. And I was like, it was so bizarre. And I was like, all right, this sounds like a prank, like, but I'm going to kind of play along. And he started naming names about people who worked on the show. And he knew I was the monologue writer and they were going to fly me home early because he wanted me to help him. And I like I told my wife and she's like, yeah, you got to do it. I mean, it's freaking Captain Kirk. But so the way it went down is I got on the phone with him on my way back to America and I was like, hey, man, I'm going to write a lot of jokes on the plane so we can hit the ground running. I said, you have all these TV endorsements and things you do. I said, is there any subject that's off limits, any joke you want me to steer clear of? And he said this. He was 85 at the time. He's 93 now. He goes, listen, or 92. He goes, listen, kid. He goes, I'm 85 and I don't give an F. That's what he said to me. And I was like, listen, if you feel that way, we're going to make that the through line for your set. So I wrote him 12 of the most offensive minutes I've ever written for anybody in oh, my wow. life. And after every joke, he was just like, I'm 85 and I don't give it. And it was great. He <laughs> murdered, just absolutely murdered. But the point is, he only saw the material once and delivered it as good as I would have if I had rehearsed it for five years. Uh, see, I'm not the least bit surprised about that. That's uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, lastly, uh, Jimmy, I would ask you if you are a, uh, a drinking man, but uh, the first time that I apparently met you was after the Talkers Conference, not this past year, but the year before. And, um, you know, I had a good time, I suppose. And then I see you this year, uh, a year later, and you say to me uh, something to the effect of, hey, it's nice to see you sober i haven't seen you since we were at the bar last year no joke no exaggeration no hyperbole i had no recollection of meeting you a year before that's how tanked i was at that uh, talkers <laughs> post party but uh, it seems like you held your own as well my question for you is since you've been doing really well in radio and tv and stand-up has your taste in booze shifted at all have you developed a uh, a more refined palate are you drinking mechanical Helen 18 instead of doers, for instance. <laughs> well, you know, what it, what it really is, is instead of snorting the Percocet, I now crush it and put it in the, <laughs> put it in the Michter's whiskey. Uh, I am, I'm not, I, I am a, a whiskey guy. I drink a lot of Michter's whiskey. That's what I like. And uh, it's my favorite thing in the world. Um, I don't drink when I do stand up, but what I've noticed that I have gotten better at having been around TV people is they do drink cocktails. Like they don't, um, when they go out, like there's this pretension of like we're TV people and they make cocktails. And then, you know, once they have two of them, everybody reverts to being the alcoholic that they are. And then you can start drinking straight <laughs> liquor, you know. But so, yes, I noticed that I have to keep up appearances a little bit more because everybody talks. But it's not like I've gotten any like more particularly high end or anything like that, if that's what you're asking. But I'm better. I am absolutely better. I can mix you two cocktails that you would think like I studied abroad. I, I find that uh, particularly impressive. Um, all right. Well, it's been a, a real treat uh, chatting with you. I hope we can do this again. I oh, yeah. uh, would love to uh, love to chat with you a bit more. I, I could talk with you all day. One day we got to get you in studio for a whole four hours. That would be a lot of fun when you're no, battling insomnia. 
No, no, I would. I listen. I would do it. I'm a lonely person at heart. I'll no. I'll come hang out. I'm used to being in a cab, hearing voices and getting cut off and shot at. So I. That's why radio is my favorite thing. <laughs> it's like I love it, man. So yeah, you flash. I would say flash the bat signal, but flash the fat signal. I'm a little chunky right <laughs> hey, Jimmy, I know, like me, you're a fan of the Naked Gun movies. And you remember when oh. Donald Trump became controversial, they yeah. took him out of Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Do, now that OJ is is controversial again, do you think they should edit him out of those Naked Gun movies? And who should replace uh, Nordberg as the character if they do w- wipe him out of history like that? <laughs> I love this story. Uh, listen, no, he the, the kid stays in the picture. I mean, he was clearly framed by the LAPD, as you know. And uh, no, I think he I think he stands his ground. I think the white man tried to keep him down. I'm kidding, uh, but I don't know. I don't know that you'd replace him. I, I have a soft spot for that era. Like I always say, you know, I'm I'm probably not the king of comedy. I'm more like the Rodney King of comedy. You know, I take a lot of heat. But I think The Naked Gun is so perfect. I can't even fathom because it's the most perfectly written and executed movie ever. I say, like, I actually say part of the, you listen, they might have they not convicted him because the movie was <laughs> Understandable. They were hoping for a Naked Gun 44 and a quarter. Uh, <laughs> Jimmy, it's a, a real treat. Let's do this again. And uh, it is nice to chat with you sober. We'll have to try it again sometime. <laughs> oh, I'm glad one of us was. Thanks, man. <laughs> Jimmy Fela, if you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, give me a call. 1-800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight.